HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Happy Chef Uniforms, the perfect style, whatever your recipe. Visit happychef.com to order your free 2018 catalog. Food and travel, they go hand in hand. And chances are, if you're a fan of Heritage Radio Network, you love them both. Between April 10th and 24th, we have six incredible food and travel experiences up for auction at charitybuzz.com. Go on an underground food tour of New Orleans with a rocket scientist. Get your hands on VIP passes to Feast Portland or enjoy a ranch to table experience in wine country. Four of the experiences include hotel stays at some of the most iconic properties across the country, including the newly reopened Hotel Claremont in Atlanta. Now's your chance to win the ultimate bourbon and beyond weekend in Lexington or take in a Latin food tour of New York's outer boroughs. You'll eat, drink, explore, and relax, all while supporting Heritage Radio Network. Help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash auction and bid now. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today on the show, I'm on the line with Nubsa Philip Vang. He's the founder and CEO of Foodini in Washington, D.C., a company providing authentic multicultural meals crafted by emerging immigrant chefs delivered to your door. Welcome to the show, Nubsa. Having me. <laughs> well, I am so glad you could be here today. Um, why don't you begin by telling us, I know I gave the, the tagline of what Foodini is, but I'd love to hear what it is in your words, although those are probably also your words. <laughs> You're right about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Foodini is a, um, we're an online restaurant and we hire immigrant and refugee chefs and we help them sell their home recipes direct to customer. Um, so we do uh, dinner delivery, online dinner delivery, so people can order for their son themselves or their family. Um, and then we also do catering as well for small events to big events. Um, and our focus is really about creating uh, opportunities, job opportunities for communities of diaspora, but also at the same time sharing 
really amazing um, food from all around the world uh, with our communities right here. Right. Um, well, before we you know get into more specifics about Fudini, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you, where you are from originally, what your background is like, what kind of food do you grow up eating? Yeah. Um, so I am uh, from the Hmong community, which is a, a ethnic group from northern Laos. And so my parents were born there and they grew up there. Um, and then they became uh, displaced and uh, came to the U.S. after the Vietnam War uh, as refugees. And so they, um, you know, have been a really strong influence in my life and just their experience. Um, and so I grew up eating, you know, really, really great food. Hmong food is kind of a mix of everything from, like, you know, Chinese to Thai to Vietnamese to Laos. It's kind of a, a mixture of all of those different things mixed in with kind of the traditional kind of greens and, and veggies that they'll find, like, in the northern parts of Laos, you know, in the mountainous regions of the area. So um, I grew up eating that. And at the time, I didn't know it, but I was, you know, wanting hamburgers and fries because I grew up here in the States. I was born here. Um, and so what I didn't know was I was getting, you know, really great, amazing food, um, you know, with really strong influences from my family and from, from the Hmong community. Um, so that's what I grew up eating. And, um, and so when I came out to D.C., um, that was one thing that was really missing because I came out to D.C. for grad school um, back in 2014, and that was one of the things that I was missing a lot of. Um, and so that's kind of how this whole idea of Fudini started was um, trying to connect with local, you know, local chefs and cooks that, you know, have really um, strong um, skill sets in cooking their native foods and being able to just get a taste of that home cooking. And that's really kind of what drove, was the initial idea um, for me. But then, you know, my experience growing up in a refugee family, you know, my parents didn't come here speaking English. They didn't have very much education. And so for us growing up, you know, um, I didn't see them a lot because they were always working. Um, so finding, you know, good, decent paying jobs were, were difficult for my, my parents. And so um, one of the things that, you know, was, was different about their experience was that, um, was that they were really great at cooking, you know, their 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 food, their cultural foods, and so that was really the beginning of of uh, Fudini was creating a space for people like my mom, and my dad, uh, to earn a living using the best skill that they had, which is cooking their native foods and being able to sell it to people and share their foods and their cultures with the larger community around us. Um, so that's that's kind of the the story of how Fudini started, but really it was. The, the biggest influence on it was just, you know, my upbringing and, and also the experience with my family and my parents. Yeah, I mean, there's so that that all makes sense. Um, and I've heard from other guests on this show who grew up, who were born in America but had immigrant parents such as yourself. Like, they had a very similar experience where they grew up kind of wishing that they had more, you know, generic American food growing up <laughs> right, because right. They, were, they were very self-conscious that, you know, they went to school with food that was... V- very other from you know their their other classmates and peers and then once they became adults and you know were more comfortable with embracing their identities felt this craving and nostalgia yeah. to, and it's and it's really yeah. like the food is sort of like the most like accessible way to kind of return to that feeling of comfort and have mm. 
felt inspired to pursue, you know, like how you've created Foodini have pursued other things inspired by that um, quest and search. So I love hearing that. I think it's such a great story. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I can probably relate with a lot of people who've been on your show with having their, their lunchbox, their lunchbox moments at school. Yeah. I mean, like already feeling <laughs> self-conscious because right. you stood out, you know, because yeah. of how you looked and then, you know, having food that smelled different and appeared different was just, you know, a whole nother layer of feeling like you, you know, you didn't fit in or there was something yeah. different about you. Um, yeah. But I always love the resolution. So. What, what did your parents do when, when they came to the United States? Did they, you, I think you mentioned they were struggling to find work. Did they cook or how did they, what yeah, did they do so, for jobs? So my, my mom and my dad, when they came to the States, um, my dad had actually, he was only probably early twenties. Um, and they had already had three, three of my, my three older sisters in Laos. And so when they came to the States, my dad had to find work like immediately to, to support um, my, our family. And so he started working off and they first relocated to the first city that they came to was Chicago. Um, and so that's, that's where my older brother was born as well. So I have six, uh, four, five siblings, so four sisters and one brother. And I'm wow. the youngest. Okay. Um, and so when my dad came, he started working um, in the factories. So he worked at like snap on tools uh, he worked at a paper company, um, so a lot of uh, kind of blue-collar work. Um, I think one story that I always hear is, like, my dad uh, would put, he put, like, a mattress in his car and in, like, a van. We had, like, an old, I think it was probably like a station wagon back in the day. And he would put a mattress in the back because he would actually sleep. That's where he would sleep between jobs. Um and so that was just something that I think that always mm -hmm. kind of stuck with me. Yeah. And my mom, she actually um, did some part-time work, like, at the schools and things like that. Uh, but, but she was also taking care of, of my, sister, my, my older sisters at the time, too. And the other compounding thing that was, I think, really uh, challenging for my dad was he was the oldest in his family. Um, and also my grandpa, he was killed in the war. Mm -hmm. And so he had to take care of all of his siblings and my grandma and everybody as well. And so he, he took on that responsibility of, of taking care of not just his family, but you know, everybody. Yeah. That's sort of overwhelming to even think about. Um, so the chefs that you employ at Fudini, who are they and where did you find them? And I guess I should ask, like when you started Fudini, were you immediately looking for someone who could recreate like the specific kind of food that you grew up eating? Yeah, I think the, the the first chef that we initially worked with, and it, it was funny, is that um, it was my summer in between um, my first and second year of grad school, and then I had I was working on foodie, and obviously I, I'm not a great cook, so I'm not going to start cooking and trying to sell my food. But it was funny because my friend, um, his grand, his mom was was visiting uh, for the summer because he had just had, uh, him and his wife just had their, their child. And so she was in town and she was watching the kids. Um, she was just kind of, you know, hanging with the kids over the summer. And, and I know that she was a great, she was a really, really good cook too. Um, and so I asked her if she would be willing to help us, um, to help do some beta testing for, for us over the summer. Uh, and so 
she was very gracious enough to help me and, and we did a couple different tastings and things like that and so she's she's uh she's she's Hmong as well and so she made a, a lot of the foods that I grew up eating um, which was great because mm-hmm. um, you can't really find Hmong food around DC um, but uh, but she was the first one to to help us um, and then after that we I had connected with my my friend uh, Chenapa who is um, in the Lao community, so she's Lao, and she told me about this woman uh, who was a really, really good cook, and she would always make stuff for, like, the temple and all these community events and things like that. And so she set up a meeting between uh, between us, and her name is Mem. And Mem, you know, when I met with Mem, and her husband was there, basically she just made a big spread of food of different Lao dishes, and I was just in love with, you know, everything that she was making. Um, and as soon as it seemed like the first bite that I had, I was like, wow, we gotta, we gotta get her featured <laughs> on Foodini. Yeah. Um, and so she's been with us since the beginning. She was our first, uh, official chef. Um, and it, when we first started, it was just me and her cooking, cooking together. I was chopping vegetables. I was, uh, you know, you the doing the cleaning up and doing the dishes and all that stuff. And she was, you know, cooking up a storm and, and it was just me and her for a good, probably six, seven months. And then, um, and then we started to work with uh, some really great partners, like my church, National Community Church in D.C. They do a, a lot of refugee resettlement work, and they were talking about some of the the families that they were assisting. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, they need to! I need to connect with them. They, I, I'd love to, I, you know, work with them and try to figure out how we can partner." Um, and it was just kind of real um, by coincidence because I was just at church on a Sunday, and they were up there speaking about it, and. It uh, really led to a great relationship with our next chef, which uh, Chef Hassan, who's a Syrian refugee. Um, and, you know, she's cooking up falafel and all these different dishes uh, from Syria that I had never had before. Um, so it was really cool to be able to be introduced to a new kind of cuisine and a new culture. Um, and so from that point on, we started to beginning to work with a lot of different churches, synagogues, uh, refugee resettlement organizations who are, you know, working with these, the newly arrived families, um, helping them settle in. And there have been really great partners because they're able to help us identify, like, you know, who's looking for a job, who might be a good fit for, for this kind of uh, chef kind of cook role. Um, and so it's been a really great partnership for us, you know, since uh, for about a year now, helping us identify potential chefs and, and kind of work through all of those different things, especially with, like, Sometimes language may come up, or you know we don't speak the same language, or and it's a great opportunity for us because it's very difficult for us to come in and be like, hey, we want to help you sell your food, mm-hmm. and they're like, I don't know you. Why are you trying to help me? You know, like they're just new to this country. And like I think the trusting is always very important, um, and so having these partners um, facilitate that relationship really kind of eases um, the the first meet and greet and introductions and it helps us really build really strong relationships do you ever do you ever lead with the food like do you ever think you know like oh i i wish we had syrian food and then seek out try and find someone syrian or does it just it's always the person comes first and then you know wherever they happen to come from like that just happens more organically i think it's uh i think for us it's definitely um kind of both we definitely want to for now, I think we're we're really focused on providing um, a good mix of different cuisines from you know everywhere, from all different countries. And so, 
um, for us, I think, just being um, aware of the, you know, the situations that are going around the world and, and seeing what the communities are really um, in need. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously, you know, with the Syrian refugee crisis and, and um, a lot of the, the, the refugees coming from the Middle East, I think that's definitely something that, I mean, just makes sense for us. Like, that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do. Um, but then also reaching out to other communities uh, that are, you know, looking for opportunities as well. So uh, more recently, we've been working with um, another organization to help us, um, which is looking at different communities that are from, like, South America or Central America or uh, Africa as well. And so I think it's a mix of being able to, you know, provide a, a good variety of different types of foods and cuisines, but then also keeping that the mindset of, you know, what communities are we looking to engage with and support and, and help uh, build, uh, build over time. Yeah. Um, you've noted that, and you kind of touched on this, all of the chefs that you work with are emerging. So why, why is that an important feature when you're, you know, interviewing people or seeking out new people to work with? They're not established chefs. Emerging, right? Yes. Yeah, I think the emerging piece of it is um, something that's important, I think, for me personally as well, um, because my mom, you know, she was never a professional, professionally trained chef, but, um, you know, she could cook up a storm. And so I think it's really about being able to give recognition uh, to, those, to those who deserve it. Um and to recognize those who are able to provide something really special to, to our communities. Um, so I think that's something really important. And then um, the other piece is just uh, being able to showcase maybe foods that, you know, aren't Michelin star or, you know, mm-hmm. don't have as much of a, a following. And I think that's, that's kind of what is really exciting about what we're doing is kind of putting a spotlight on food that usually might not be as, as familiar or as popular. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, how do you decide which recipes are chosen? And is it always the chefs kind of calling upon their own arsenal of recipes that they know? Yeah, the selection process, the, the menu selection process is interesting. Um, it's cool. I always, we always leave it wide, really open for the chefs to, um, provide their their knowledge and kind of what they would like to, to share with uh, our customers. Um, so we always kind of say, hey, we're, we're looking to have maybe two to three new dishes in the next month. Um, and they kind of get enough feel for like, what are they thinking? What are they, what would they like to make? What, what's something that, you know, they've been thinking about making, or maybe they want to mix it up and, and do a different using a different meat or a different vegetable. Um, so it's, it's very organic in terms of letting them, giving them a space to kind of think through what they think might be, might be good. And then I think the, what we provide from the, from my standpoint, where I'm at is, is basically giving them a sense of, okay, this is what's been selling well. This is something that people have been asking for, um, you know, looking at the seasons, what's seasonal, what's not, um, just kind of giving them kind of a baseline to work off of. So it's a, it's a partnership in terms of what, what we decide to, to put out to, to customers. Okay, cool. Um, and then once recipes are secured, does everyone cook everyone's recipe or does, you know, everyone kind of stick to their own specific menu? The, the menus themselves, each chef has their own uh, particular menu, and that's what they focus on. Um, but we do have 
mixing of the chefs helping. Like one chef one day will have a really busy day. And so, um, you know, one chef from a, like a chef Mina from Iran will help, you know, chef, uh, chef Mem if she has a busy day and vice versa. And so it's cool to see that was something I wasn't really expecting when we started the businesses was to see kind of the, the, the collaboration and the learnings between the chefs. And so you'll see a technique, you know, one chef will use a specific technique and then, you know, uh, the chef will be one of our other chefs, maybe like from uh, Chef Wing from the Philippines, like, oh, that's cool. Like, I like that. And, and so you actually kind of see some, some sharing of techniques and cooking styles uh, over time. So that's, that's been something really neat to see. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea that, you know, you're introducing, with Foodini, you're introducing new foods to customers, but like also the chefs are probably learning new foods amongst themselves too. Yeah, and it's, it's fun to, to see them uh, taste each other's foods because they're like, whoa, what is this? I've never, you know, the, the, the palates are very different and, right. and, uh, and the, the ingredients are sometimes different. And so it's neat to see the chefs experience different the different foods between themselves. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how how much their own cooking styles have changed, like because they're working in such close proximity to people who are cooking foods that are, you know, potentially like wildly different in terms of like <laughs> yeah. the I flavors think, uh, and the That's probably, I think that's something we're going to start um, just reviewing with the chefs probably over time is kind of just, I think that's one of the things we're going to be focusing on going forward is just development as well. So what kind of you know, growth uh, development opportunities are available to chefs maybe to, to learn a different technique or, um, you know, to, to learn some different skill sets. And so that for us is definitely going to be something very important for us going forward. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can picture it, it becoming this, like, global sort of fusion menu, like the more time they all spend with each other. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we actually have had a couple of chefs talk about doing like a fusion menu yeah, already exactly. so I think that's pretty cool be fun um, so how does it yeah. work logistically like if if one were to order what what's how does it all go yeah so if you're looking to order for like yourself or maybe your your family or your couple friends coming over so you would just go to foodini.com and each you can just either click by by the chef or just all of the menu items you could look at vegan items um, and you would just pick items a la carte and you can mix and match between the different chefs, uh, you know, order something from each chef, or maybe if you want to stick with just a certain type of cuisine. Uh, and then you basically click and add to your cart and pick your next thing is just pick your date, your delivery date and time. And that's pretty much it. So your the food comes prepared, ready to eat um, for dinner. And it's a dinner program, basically. Um, so that's pretty, it's How pretty, far in advance do you have to order it? Forward. Yeah. How far in advance do you have to order it? So right now we're doing an 8 p.m. cutoff the night before. So if you wanted to order for tomorrow, you just need to place your order by 8 p.m. Okay, so you have to know what you want for dinner the next day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so we've been we've been working on playing with that model a little bit, and I think um, probably looking maybe at adding some some different options like going forward in terms of maybe potentially like same day uh ordering for maybe like a limited menu or um just doing some some different options with that as well but but it's been cool with the with the uh the pre-ordering um it's really great to see a lot of um families like younger families and people who um maybe aren't 
real keen on like on demand, you know, food, but they want to have really like kind of nice curated meal. Um, I think it's been really cool to see that be something really popular among, among that group of people. Yeah. I like that idea. Cause then it's like the next day rolls around and you're like, Oh, I've already got it figured out. I can just sit back. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Um, one thing I really just, like, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, I was going to say we, we just kicked off, um, a subscription uh, meal plan as well. So every week, uh, just a different meal crafted by one of our chefs is, is delivered to you. So it's on like a automated subscription, and we do that. And what's cool is we always introduce a couple new dishes every week with that. So you always get a taste of what's coming first. That's fantastic. So it's always a surprise. Yeah, yeah. That's so fun. Um, well, one thing I really like about your website is that each chef has their story as as part of the content so you really get an understanding of like who you're ordering from and i imagine that that probably influences like what you order too because i can i can picture like reading a chef story and like finding it especially interesting and being like oh i would want to taste their food also why did you choose to include the story as part of the website instead of just focusing on you know the menu yeah it's a great question um that's something I thought a lot about early on, and I think what I was trying to replicate in a way or just kind of grab the essence of is is for me, like, I think some of the best meals I've ever had is just in somebody's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because you, you know, you see them cooking and you see them putting the time and, and the effort into making sure that, you know, they're feeding you in a really loving way, right? And so... Um, I wanted to be able to kind of bring that experience to to our customers. And so, you know, because I think at the end of the day, what makes a meal great is uh, the person behind it. Mm-hmm. And so really, you can't really have a great meal, I think, in, in, unless you really, you know, you know who's cooking it and where it's coming from. And so I think that story of the chef and for people to be able to connect and learn about the, the person who's feeding them is is really important to that. And I think over time we've really seen that be something really positive uh, in terms of creating a really stronger connection with our customers. And, you know, you see some, some customers who are like, I'm a Chef Magic fan, you know, so they're just all about Chef Magic and they're like, Oh, Magic's cooking. What is he making? Or, you know, people are like following specific chefs. Um, So that's just been really cool to see is, is to really showcase not just their food, but like, the person. Yeah. I mean, it can only make it better. I think that's such a great idea. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back to talk more with Noobsa about Foodini. Maybe you're looking for a coat for yourself or you want a bold look for your staff. You might even need a new style for your restaurant, whether it's modern, industrial, or farm to table. Whatever you're looking for, Happy Chef has got you covered. Their wide variety of chef apparel and products are perfect for teams of all sizes and styles. And with the industry's easiest custom embroidery, you can add your logo, name, or fun artwork to many of their other products in minutes. Here's what you do. Visit happychef.com and choose from their incredible selection. With only a couple clicks, you can customize many of their products to personalize your look. Right now, they're even offering free custom logo setup on all orders over $150, a $95 value totally free. Visit happychef.com now to order your free 2018 catalog featuring new styles and incredible comfort. Happy Chef, the perfect style, whatever your recipe. 
Hey, you're listening to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Sari Kamen. I've been talking to Noobsa Philip Vang. He's the founder and CEO of Foodini in Washington, D.C. Um, so you're in D.C. right now, and I love that you started this company because you were craving the kind of food that you grew up eating, um, which is, in your case, it's mun, which is a type of Lao food, and you didn't have anywhere to go um, to eat the kind of food that you remember your your mom cooking for you. So you basically created it yourself, which is very smart and resourceful of you. So how has it been going in D.C.? How has the community received Houdini so far? Yeah, I think I think D.C., one of the, the big reasons why um, I wanted to start it in D.C. was I thought it was a really, really unique uh, market and unique city. I think it's you get a lot of people from all over the world. Uh, coming to to work here, to go to school here. Um, And for me, I mean, that's why I came here. I came here for school. And so being here for for a couple of years really taught me about the city and how, you know, people are really open to trying new things here. You know, they're always really um, adventurous uh, as well. And I think that just is, is a part of the culture of the city. And so I knew, like, this would be something that I think would 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 be a great thing for for the city and what and started here was because you know if people have never heard of uh, you know Lao food or or had Syrian food before or something I I, I knew like the people here would be down for that um, so that was just something that was was really a key thing in, in making me decide to, to start it here and and it's and it's been true I mean you know a lot of people that I hear they've they've been like, oh, I've never had Lao food before, but I ordered it last night. And it was amazing, um, and so we get a lot of comments like that from from customers saying, oh, I've never had this, but I ordered it and it was amazing. Or they say, um, oh, I've had you know I've had Iranian food, but I've never had Filipino. So this time I ordered Filipino and it was amazing. Um, so it's really cool to see you know like um, people trying new things that they didn't have before, hadn't heard of before. Um, and so I think that in itself is really positive. Um, and then the other factors, it's just our mission. I mean, I, I think at the forefront of what we do, it's, it comes down to our mission. And people have really gravitated towards that as well. Um, and D.C. Is, in itself is a very, you know, social justice-focused um, community. Uh, and so it's something that has really resonated with them as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I am interested to hear if you think that the election has had any or I guess like the shift in our national sort of um, psychology has had any impact on your business. I mean, you are in D.C., which is obviously a very progressive city, but, you know, of course, it's our nation's capital and that's where the White House is. And there's been so much anti-immigrant rhetoric happening like in the past year. Um, I would think that probably that's benefited your business, like maybe more people, you know, wanting to support your mission. Have you found that to be the case? I think it's definitely been something that has made our um, made us something that's been able to be something that people can take action on, and I think it, it's it's not so much of you know um, you know that's this is this is uh, you know the main reason why we we're we're doing well or or, or in that mm-hmm. case I think it's it's um, a, a sh- signaling of you know being here when we need to be here um, and kind of being, you know, something that people can, 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 uh, 
be a part of or participate in in a way that that can be a reaction to to the Trump administration and the things that they've done. Um, and so for us, it's 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 great because you know there are, there are people who who are very you know aware of what's going on abroad in terms of refugee crisis and and the displacement of, of communities and people. Um, but but I think it's they're trying to figure out ways to to get involved or. Or how to to meet, you know, different uh, with people from different refugee communities or people who have just, you know, resettled here, um, and so this gives them, uh, you know, a really unique way to connect with with those uh, those communities and, and be able to kind of share uh, in their experience and in their culture. Um, and so, for us, I think it's a lot of times people talk about refugees and and what's going on, but many times a lot of people have not met with a refugee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think this is a great way that we can start to create those connections. Yeah. And it's, it's such good timing because sometimes people are just looking for something to do and they don't know what to do. And it's an opportunity to like, to begin somewhere. And I think it's the kind of thing that um, will attract business, but you know, it's definitely the food that's going to bring them back the second time. So certainly it's, it's only a testament to the quality of food and the type of business model that you've created to you know, if, if you are ultimately successful and you have returning customers and it sounds like that's the case, but you know, I love that it can be sort of like the first stop for people who want to feel engaged somehow. Food is good for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something we've, we've seen over time is, um, people will come to Fudini because they, they really connect with their mission. Uh, and then what they'll, they'll be, they'll think, Oh, well, this is nice. And then when they have the food, they're like, Oh my gosh! Like this, this is amazing. This food is great, and so it's really reinforcing to to be able to support something, but then also get get a really good product out of it, and vice versa. As people come for the food, they hear about the food, and they're like, "Oh, I heard you guys an amazing food," and then they they learn about our mission. They're like, "Oh, this is awesome!" Yeah, even um, better. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's kind of um, reinforcing both ways, which is great. Yeah. What do your parents think of it? My parents uh, have always been there, 100%, believing in what you know what what I'm working on, and I think a lot of it comes down to them understanding. Uh, you know, they understand the experience of being refugees and what it what the challenges it is, and so for them, they've always been people who believe in in giving back and supporting our communities, and so you know, I think they they love that. I mean, I'm, I'm able to do that um, and, you know, be able to to connect with different people from different places and create opportunities and create, you know, amazing food. And, and so um, my my parents, maybe if they, if they were just a little bit younger, I know they'd want to jump in and, and try to help wherever they could. Um, but, but, yeah, they're... They're really, uh, they're really excited and really happy. Yeah, I mean, they must be really proud and like, I would think they'd be really touched that like you've created something because you were inspired by you know their stories and the kind of food that yeah. you ate growing up in their household. Yeah, one thing that I guess always kind of sticks with me and is I think for me one of the biggest inspirations behind it was I think a lot of times people. You know when um, you know refugees come here to the states as refugees. There's a lot of a lot of people. Um, you know they they don't get to um, uh, able to dream much anymore, right? It's kind of like my my mom and my dad. They came here and they just had to work and they had to support their family and you know whatever dreams that they had uh, back in their home country. 
they're gone. And so, um, you know, this is a this is a way to allow people to dream again uh, and to to create something for themselves. Um, so that's a big for me. It's a big piece of it as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for your parents, of course, but I can picture that in some ways. Like this is their dream, you know, like having a child who is is successful and was able to pursue his or her own dreams and um and honor them you know simultaneously at the same time i think that's yeah, that's a really lovely yeah. story yeah um an author in the monk community uh called Kalia yang she says uh you know once you know um as, as as refugees the only dreams that we have left are our children yeah so i think uh that plays very yeah that touches on that very strongly yeah are there any, speaking of dreams, aspirations down the road potentially to go beyond DC? Yeah, definitely. We are uh, good. <laughs> Come to New York. <laughs> we, yeah, we just we just um, we've been in DC for about a little over a year and a half now, and um, we're actually working on raising our seed round um, to help us expand to uh, in, in DC grow to all the different parts of the DMV and, and then uh, looking at expanding on the East Coast as well. Fantastic. Um, well, best of luck with that. If I know any VCs, I will send them your way. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite a tech show, but who knows? Maybe. Um, well, Nusa, <laughs> tell us, for those of us, for those people out there listening who are lucky enough to be in DC and will be able to experience Fudini, where can they find you? Yeah, you just go to uh, Fudini.com, so F-O-O-D-H-I-N-I.com, like Houdini, Harry <laughs> Houdini, but Fudini. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can order a meal there. We do catering as well, and, uh, so we can uh, go online and do the catering orders as well. Great. Uh, well, thank you so much, Noobsa. It's been a pleasure to speak to you, and I really love your concept, and I hope to be able to try it one day when I'm, I don't know, visiting DC or who knows, maybe you'll come here first. Um, but it sounds yeah. delicious and it's just such a wonderful idea. So congratulations on making it all come to fruition and thank you out there for listening. If you're listening, I guess this is, this is not live. So thank you for downloading the show, either listening on heritage radio or on iTunes on Stitcher radio and on Spotify. We'll see you next time on heritage radio network.org. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.